Before we get into uh, today's message, just have a, another announcement. If you're a member of the church uh, and you receive our emails, you may have read it th- this week. Sarah, where are you? I saw her in the building. I saw her. Oh, there you are. I saw her grab a big box of tissues just a little bit ago. Um, the announcement is Sarah has worked at our church office for the past five years. Mary and I have known Mark and Sarah for over 25 years, but she's worked as an administrative assistant here for the last five years and has done an outstanding job. Two years ago, she began to pursue a degree in a master's degree in social work, so we knew it was just a matter of time that her job was coming to an end, and that time has arrived. She is going to finish up at the end of this month. Um, thankfully, Mark and Sarah are staying in town. They're staying in the church. Um, but I want to use this as an opportunity just to thank Sarah. Sarah has done an outstanding job caring and serving you guys also. Can we give her a big round of applause? Uh, she is compassionate. She is wise. She is really good with all age people. During the COVID time, she, she actually made most of our church stuff happen because stuff that she didn't know how to do, she learned how to do very quickly. She is uh, an ability and aptitude for technology. So she, uh, she just adjusted very quickly. So we're going to miss her greatly in the office. There has been lots of tears shed this week. Um, and so if you have a chance to thank her today or in the next few weeks, please thank her. Part of this announcement, too, is as of the end of March... You don't ask her any more questions about church-related uh, details. So this is a, a service to her as well. That's, that's my request, not, not hers. Uh, or maybe hers a little bit too, but mine primarily. Um, that also means we are accepting applications for a part-time administrative position, assistant position, immediately. So if that's something you're wondering about, interested in, have questions about, please contact the church office, talk to Kathy, talk to Dave, talk to myself. And we'll point you in the right direction there. Uh, but most of all, we thank God for Sarah and Mark and all that they are doing and have done for the church. Um, Sarah, I really can't see you at all, but thank you um, for all you have done. Interestingly enough, Sarah and I, I, I met Sarah as a freshman at IUP. Uh, before I even met Jesus. So I met Jesus a year later. And so I have known Sarah really my entire Christian life. And Mark moved about uh, six months into my, my Christian life. He came to IUP as well. So it's been fun as we've all grown in a relationship with the Lord and friendship just to, to grow over the years. And a number of years ago, they moved back to the area. So that, that is awesome and uh, really uh, kind of the Lord. So let's uh, turn to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to jump into Matthew chapter 5, and today we're going to look at verses 21 through 26. 21 through 26. Let's pray as we look at verses 21 through 26. Jesus, thank you for the clarity of your words in the Sermon on the Mount. Thank you that they're not just words, but you give us power to obey them. And you, you, you came to this earth to rescue us, transform us, and change us. And I, I pray, Holy Spirit, you would do all those things today um, for those watching online, for those in the room. And I pray you would help me to just communicate your word with great clarity, 
And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would convict us where we need convicted and you'd change us where we need changed. And we are dependent on you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today's topic from the Sermon on the Mount is the deadly sin of anger. The deadly sin of anger. This one's going to hurt a little bit. Um, Because if you're like me, uh, anger can be a familiar temptation to all of us. So from young to old, guys to girls, no respecter of person, anger is a familiar temptation and expresses itself in a variety of ways. We're going to see that today. And Jesus is going to probe our hearts and minds today and get at how serious anger is, not to condemn us, but to free us. So one of my hopes this morning is that we would all experience a a degree of freedom, of hope for change in this area of anger. And to start today, I want to read a story from a commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. This is written by James Montgomery Boyce. He has since gone to be with the Lord. But in his commentary on this chapter, on Matthew 5, he tells a story, a true story, of an interaction with his daughter when she was young. And this is the story, and I think, I think you'll see the point here in a moment. One Sunday evening, after the 7.30 service in my church, I was talking with my daughter Elizabeth and learned that she was greatly offended because someone had mistreated her, as she thought. He had held her upside down, and she did not like it. And she was very angry about it. She said to me, I don't like that guy. I'm never going to forgive him. I'll forgive Cece and Vicky and Pamela, who were all her friends, but I'm not going to forgive him. I said, oh, you don't want to say that. Jesus tells us that we're supposed to forgive one another. He forgives us, doesn't he? She said, yes, I know. They teach me that in Sunday school and at school, but I don't understand it. What I really like to do is kick him, I said. And then, and then he wisely said, yes, that's the way we are. But God wants us to be different. So I think we can relate to Elizabeth. What I really want to do is kick him right now. But then her dad gave her wise counsel, or gives us wise counsel. He says, if you look into your heart honestly when you are offended, you will find that to kick the person is what you want most, you want most likely to do. It's often what I want to most likely do. And yet we must not do it. In fact, we must even come to the point at which we ask God to change our hearts and minds so that we will not even want to do it. The, the big kick. For when we do, God will change our minds. We shall be transformed from within by the renewing of our minds. And we will find it possible to do what beforehand we would have judged impossible. The subject we're talking about today is, humanly speaking, naturally speaking, impossible. We naturally want to respond in anger. We naturally want to kick someone in our hearts. Jesus came to forgive us, transform us, and change us, and change our want to, our desires. And to do so, we're in the Sermon on the Mount. He's teaching the disciples. He's teaching a a much larger crowd. And he's going to specifically talk about the sin of anger 
and connect it to the sin of murder from the Ten Commandments. So look in your Bibles, Matthew 5, 21 through 26. You have heard that it was said of old, you shall not murder. Whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser accuser hand over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. So what Jesus is doing here, we're going to see in a moment, he's going to go into great detail about the sin of anger and the, the commandment to not murder. He's going to connect the two. And he's going to show us that the law, the Ten Commandments, wasn't just addressing the action or the sin that we're not to commit, in this case murder, but the heart intention that's underneath it. And so he's going to, to really challenge us at the heart motive level. See, by the time Jesus is walking on earth and teaching, the Jewish scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees, they had they really bought into the idea that as long as you don't murder someone, you're okay. No matter what's going on in your mind, no matter what's coming out of your mouth, no matter what's in your heart, you're all right before the Lord. And, and Jesus is going to say, no, you're, you're not all right. And actually, uh, it really matters what's going on inside of us, in our mind and our heart and what comes out of our mouth. And so the first point is the sin of anger is deadly. So we're going to see how serious it is. Then we're going to look underneath it and see why we respond the way that we respond. And then we're going to see how to make it right. Maybe to help us, just to get a, another analogy in your mind, imagine the last time you had a car problem. So the first thing you do is you notice something. You notice a sound. You notice a feel. You notice something's not right. Maybe it's bouncing down the road. Maybe the engine's not working right. Maybe the gears aren't changing correctly. But you notice something. So you identify the problem. And then if you're not a mechanic, you take it to a mechanic. And what do they do? They diagnose the problem. So you identify the problem. And then they, they check it out for themselves with their expertise. And they diagnose the problem. But those two steps, as important as they are, they actually haven't fixed your car at all. They just tell you what's wrong with your car, what exactly is wrong with your car. But... If they stop there, you still have a car that does not work. Well, Jesus is going to do the same thing in this passage with the issue of anger as he addresses our hearts and minds. He's going to help us to identify the problem. It's a serious problem. Then he's going to diagnose it. He's going to look below the surface to see what is really going on when you and I get angry. And then he's going to help us to change and show us a pathway out of anger. So that, that's kind of where we're heading First point is the sin of anger is deadly. The sin of anger is deadly. Look at verse 21 
22 again. You have heard that it was said of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. What he's saying there, what commentators believe he means there, and I think it's very persuasive based on the context, when he says you have heard it said of old, he's saying the scribes, not the Ten Commandments, but the scribes, the Jewish religious leaders over the centuries, they, they, they've, you've heard it say from them, if you don't murder, you're good. As long as you don't kill someone, you're fine. He's saying that's not, that's not the intention of the Ten Commandments, particularly the commandment to not murder. It's actually to probe a lot deeper to our affections and our heart motives. But you've heard it said this, but I'm going to tell you that Jesus is saying it's way more serious than you think it is. Not only is murder wrong, but anger, hate towards a fellow person who is made in the image of God is a really big deal in God's sight. Look at verse 22. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. The Jewish context here is the Sanhedrin, the, the Jewish council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Jesus is not mincing words here. He's saying anger of the heart is in seed form the sin of murder. So the 10th commandment says, you shall not murder. And by the time Jesus is on the scene, that the, the law has just been on this very high level external obedience level. So you could keep the law on a surface level, but Jesus is saying you could do that all the while you're murdering people with your words, with your actions, with your thoughts. And he's saying, I, I've come to, to go far deeper. See, being in Jesus' kingdom isn't just you do these outward steps. It's no, Jesus transforms us from the inside out. See, sometimes people look at the Sermon on the Mount and they get really confused. It, it seems works-based, but that, that's not at all the idea here. Jesus is saying, I came to bring life. So salvation is given to any man, woman, boy, girl, teenager who turns from their sins and trusts in Jesus. It's a free gift. And we're, we're, when that happens, we're saying, Jesus, you paid for all of my sins. And we're born again. We're made alive. God's spirit comes inside of us. And the good news there is, is God wants to change us, wants to transform us. That's what uh, James Montgomery Boyce was trying to teach his daughter. God actually changes our want to. So you shall not murder. The, the Ten Commandments, the law, was meant to probe much deeper than just external action. And if you think about this, you get this. We, we get this. Imagine if you have a 13-year-old and a 15-year-old brother and sister, and you leave them at home. You're going out for the evening. They're old enough to not have a babysitter. And all you tell them is, all I want you to do is not punch each other in the face while I'm gone. That's all I want you to do. If you do that, mom and dad will be really happy when we get back. You can do anything else to each other. Just don't punch each other in the face. Well, that's a really low bar. Now, what do you really want 
You want them to get along. You want them to think about each other, to have affection for each other. You don't want them just to not punch each other in the face. That's, that's basically what Jesus is saying with this commandment. It, it's, a, it's a lot deeper. It's a lot stronger. God, God cares about the motives of our hearts, and he wants to change and transform us. Look at verse 21 and 22 again. You have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not murder. Whoever murders will be liable of the judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. See, Jesus' standard is far higher. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. And it's not just that Jesus is standard is higher. He's rightly interpreting and applying the law like it was always intended to be implied. If you've been coming here, you noticed last week I talked about Matthew 5.20. And Matthew 5.20 really sets the stage for what follows in uh, Matthew 5. Jesus said, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. See, he already set the stage. It's not just that the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, that they didn't kill people. No, he wants them to have real affection for people. The kind of affection and compassion that Jesus had for people. When Jesus saw the very lowly, the suffering, those who were the outcasts, his heart was moved. Not with just tolerance, but compassion and love and action Towards them. See, he's saying that's all implied here. So it's not just don't do this, but do this. Put anger and murder at the heart level to death and replace it with the grace of God, compassion and love towards others. Anger is murder from the heart. That's not my words, that's Jesus' words. It's a deadly sin. And I think it's important to think about that. We, we have many excuses probably in our own minds and hearts and our culture that just kind of justify anger. Let me just give you a few. I'm sure you have many of your own. Uh, that's just how I was raised. We yell at each other. We scream at each other. And then we go and do something fun together. And it's just what we do. We destroy each other. We insult each other. And then we, we really love each other at the, the heart level. Well, if you're an outsider in that atmosphere looking in, it's not feeling like love, is it? It's feeling like murder with the tongue. Another one, I'm Irish. I'm Italian. I have red hair. It's just, it's just in me. Uh, it's just who I am. It's just, I mean, it's, it's, it's not my fault. Not even my mom or dad's fault. It's, it's a long line of red-haired people with short fuses or Italian people with loud voices. Or just in general, it's not my fault. If, if you wouldn't talk to me that way, if you wouldn't look at me that way, if you wouldn't put me in that situation, I would not be raising my voice right now. It's not my fault. It's your fault. No, Jesus is saying the opposite. It's actually your fault. What are some other reasons? I feel disrespected. They disrespected me. So I unleashed a fury with my tongue, my heart, with my mind. 
the car pulled out in front of me. They didn't even see me. Or they did see me. They looked right at me. And they smirked at me. So then I let them have it. Um, murder from my heart. And it felt wonderful. Because maybe in the moment it may feel wonderful. But Jesus is saying that it's not okay. It's not acceptable. Here's a common one. I'm hungry. Sounds so funny, doesn't it? But imagine if I preached till 1.30 today and you were here till 1.30 and you went from, oh, this is nice. I kind of like this church. I'm not sure. To now I'm, I'm a little hungry. To now I'm hangry. To now I'm really hangry, hungry. And I want to leave. And I'm going to leave and I'm angry now. Or I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I had a long day. Or I want people to quit asking me things. Maybe parents feel this way. If just someone could let me just be it in my own mind and space for just a few minutes where they don't need something from me. See, we can be squeezed and tempted in so many different ways. But Jesus came to really set us free. He forgives us and he wants to change us. Now, verse 22, let's slow down and think about this just a little bit more. But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. That means God's perfect judgment. See, when we think about anger, we don't think about it that way oftentimes. We don't... It, think, is it really that big of a deal? And Jesus is saying, it really is that big a deal. In, in the original language, this, this, this sense of name calling literally means you blockhead, you empty head. You are such an empty head. You're such a blockhead. You're an idiot. You're a moron. You're a fool. Jesus is saying, whoever insults his brother or sister will be liable to counsel. Whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. If we attack people with our words, with our keyboards, with our whatever, our social media posts, if we're doing those things, we are guilty of the sin of murder in our hearts. So think about it. Think about all the things they've written or said about politicians who don't agree with you in the last couple of years. Have you spoken charitably about them, even if you disagree with their positions and beliefs? Think about people that, that believe and think very differently than you do on numerous subjects. How do you talk about them? How do you think about them? What's the disposition of your heart? Is it love, compassion, a heart's desire for them to really encounter the grace of God like you have? Or is it just, I, I want them to be quiet. I want them to zip their lips. I want them to not talk. Not only that, I want to destroy them. I want to make fun of them. Jesus is saying, if you're in my kingdom, not the rules we play by. That's not how I want you to be. I mean, remember, Jesus found you at your lowest and your worst. And he rescued you. He saved you. No matter what you're particular 
philosophy of life was at that moment, your political positions, your ideology, whatever it was, he, he just scooped you up. He brought you in. He cleaned you up. He forgave you. He put a spirit in you. Now he wants us to be different. So he wants us to feel this. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So that also includes swearing, cursing, whatever it would be, just destroying people with your tongue. There's this incredible illustration in the book of James where he, he talks about the tongue. And he talks about how powerful the tongue is. Listen to this. He said, look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they're guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So the rudder underneath the water proportionally is, is vastly different in size than the ship that it is steering around. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. That could be things we say, that could be things we write, things we put out on social media. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea and creature can be tamed. And has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. You can tame a tiger, a lion, an elephant, even a whale. But you can't tame the tongue. It's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse. And Jesus would say, murder people with our tongues who are made in the likeness of of God. See, James is connecting the idea that we all human beings are created in God's image. We are all image bearers. And so we as believers in Jesus should show compassion and love to those no matter who they are. So let's think about this. How do you speak to your children, your co-workers, your spouse, your neighbors, especially neighbors that put signs in their yards or on their doors and windows of things that you might not agree with. Fellow Christians, how do you talk about them? Maybe fellow Christians who aren't in your stream of Christian belief. How do you speak? So how do you speak to your children, co-workers, spouse, neighbors, and then how do you talk about them? So sometimes that's different. Maybe very nice to them to their face, and then you just rip them when they walk away. Jesus is saying he wants to close that gap. He wants there not only to be no murderous words, but there is love, compassion, and affection. How do you interact with others on Twitter and Facebook? What kind of posts do you support? What kind of posts do you like? What kind of memes of different people do you think are funny? All those things. If Jesus is our king, he has something to say about it. And he wants to give us freedom and joy. Paul wrote this, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such that is good for building up as fits the occasion that may give grace to those who hear. It's this massive, comprehensive statement. 
So the, the sin of anger is serious. Point number two, the deadly sin of, sin of anger begins in our hearts. So if we're taking our car into the garage, now they put the diagnostic machine on, they're, they're identifying where, where's the source of the problem. Jesus is saying the source of the problem, if you are angry, if, if speech that doesn't please God spews out of your mouth, it starts in your heart. Proverbs says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Guard your heart. Give it great attention. How do we do that? How do we guard our hearts? Well, there's numerous things we can do. First is we look to Jesus for our joy, our hope, our satisfaction, our trust. We guard our hearts by having an accurate assessment of ourselves. We too have fallen grossly short of God's standard. We are sinners by nature. We too are created in God's image. We too have been treated as we don't deserve and God has forgiven and brought us into his family. And so that should soften us. James Montgomery Boyce in the same book I read earlier said this, true Christian morality must arise from the heart. As a result of this, no one but God who controls the heart can provide it. So we need God to transform our hearts. So if anger is an issue for you and you know Jesus, talk to Jesus. Ask him. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you produce the fruits of self-control, particularly self-control in the area of speech. Ask him to give you love and compassion for those who think different than you, look different than you, act different than you. If you haven't re- read the book of James recently, read it. It's, it's often referred to as the Proverbs of the New Testament. He doesn't mince words. He says this about fighting and quarreling. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Your sister, your brother, your mom, your dad, your teacher, your mean neighbor. No, it doesn't say any of that. Is it not this? It's the passions that are at war within you. What causes it? Your desires, your cravings. Our desire to want to be respected, to be king of our little worlds. You desire and do not have, so you murder. And Jesus would say, you murder with your tongue. You covet, you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. So let's just kick around a couple more excuses for anger. This one I probably have heard more than most. I am a passionate person. I'm just a passionate person. Well, that's great. Passion's a great thing. But it might be good to discern between passion and sinful anger. The the two are different. I can passionately enjoy cheesecake. And I'm not angry about it at all. But if I am screaming at you because you did something I don't like or something I don't want you're asking me to do that's not wrong, like clean my room, take out the garbage, I can't say, well, I'm just passionate, Mom. I'm not doing this today. And then Mom says or Dad says, don't raise your voice. I'm not raising my voice. I'm speaking loudly and clearly. I'm just passionate, just like you are, just like dad is, just like mom is. 
Let's be careful with that one. This is maybe this, if passion's number one, number two on my list that I have heard often is, I am not sinfully angry. I am righteously angry. It's not right that you make me make my bed every single day. Think about how dumb that is. I slept in the bed. It was messed up. Now you're saying within a 12-hour period, I need to make it look neat just so I can open it back up and jump back in it. I have moral high ground here. That, that makes no sense. Why would you do that? See, that's not righteous anger. That's just probably laziness and not wanting to do what your mom or dad is asking you to do. There is a such thing as righteous anger. But with that, that is things that are, are moral, that God's standard is right. Let's say um, protecting someone who is a victim of abuse. To be righteously angry at the abuser. Not sinfully angry, but that is wrong. What they've done to you is wrong. God takes that very seriously. That's righteous anger. Someone pulling out in front of you and you losing your mind is not righteous anger. You destroying a politician's character by name-calling is not righteous anger. You taking a stand for life could be righteous anger. So we need discernment. Bring others into that if, you're, if you feel like it's getting fuzzy. The only one who could perfectly do this is Jesus, and he perfectly did do this. This is also a common one. I used to be a lot worse. I used to be a lot worse. You think I'm angry now? You think I'm in your face now? I used to be a lot worse. Well, that's probably true. We're glad you're not as bad as you once were, but Jesus' standard is way higher than I used to be a lot worse. Another way to say it is, the Lord's helped me get to a point. Seems like he wants to help me a lot more. See, humility will, will diffuse anger. The deadly sin of anger expresses, it begins in our heart and expresses itself with our thoughts, with our words, with our actions. See, Jesus wants to probe. Another common excuse is, I didn't mean it. I called you an idiot called you a moron. I didn't mean it. What'd you call your brother? Well, I called him this, but I didn't mean it. What'd you call your sister? Called him this, but what'd you call your mom? I didn't mean it. You said it. Jesus would say you actually meant it. And this is how I know this. Luke 6, 45. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. The evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart His mouth speaks. His mouth speaks. Her mouth speaks. What's it speak from? Out of the abundance of the heart. The diagnostic test says, here's the problem. It's inside. So what you say, what came out, what what did what Proverbs says, um, life and death is in the power of the tongue. The death that just came out of your mouth came from your heart. The best thing you can do is own it. I was wrong. Please forgive me. I'm sorry I hurt you that way. Ask the Lord to help you. Please point out when it looks like I'm getting angry. Pray for me. There, there's, if humility is entered, it will soften this. One of the things I've done a lot over the years is premarital counseling. And it's really hard to just, it's almost, the, might be the hardest thing I do. And, and the reason is, is because most couples, before they get married, 
do not believe really anything in any marriage book. They don't believe that any problems are going to happen. They're just like standing, you know, it's kind of awkward because I'm there, they're there, and there's just like hearts floating above if it was a cartoon character. So I'm saying the things and they're, they're reading the things, but they, they, they most find it really hard to believe that they're actually going to disagree with each other. They're actually going to fight. They're actually going to not be as happy as they are right at this moment. Um, and so it's really hard. You know, it's like, it's like kind of anything that you're learning about theoretically and then you actually do it. So one of the things I encourage couples, I'm actually doing one right now, um, to just be honest with one another. Have a little friction and let's talk it through. Rather than oftentimes what happens is one of the two is way more passive, way, way more quiet. And it's not necessarily the girl or the guy can flip genders based on personality. But what often happens, and this is like welcome to marriage 101, is the quieter one gives the appearance that all is well. They're not sharing their preferences about what they want to go to eat or what they, how they want the wedding to be or anything. And then underneath the surface, there's this lava, this volcanic lava in their heart. And the poor other soon-to-be spouse can't, doesn't know it's there. They can't see inside of them. And, and over time, it's building, it's building, it's building. And sweet, passive man or woman erupts. And the poor soon-to-be spouse on the receiving end thought, I never knew that was coming. I didn't, I didn't see it. Well, you said you were okay with everything. I, I don't know. Well, what happened is they weren't guarding their heart. They weren't being honest. See, we need to be honest. We need to express ourselves. But we need to guard our hearts. We all struggle with sin in different ways. Let me speak to those of you who may have a personality more like me. I am generally not a yeller. I'm not super, ex even before I was a Christian, I just wasn't a, um, What's dangerous about that is our sin can be more subtle. It can be, I can be angry and smiling all at the same time. And, and Mary will say, you're getting angry. And I'll say, I'm not getting angry. She said, your lip is doing that thing that happens when you get angry. And, and then she'll say, your eyebrows are up 20 feet in the air. Um, I'm not getting, uh, hear my voice? I'm not getting angry. Uh, but she's right. You know, so it can be more subtle. See, this is where Jesus probes at the heart level. So sometimes in relationships, marriage or workplace, you can think that the loud one is the problem and the quiet one is not the problem. That is rarely the case. That can be the case, but it's rarely the case. Our, our sin's more subtle. It's more, it's more, it contorts uh, more carefully than that. And so just watch yourself. Guard your own heart. And then last, the restitution. We must seek forgiveness and restitution when we sin in anger. Verse 23, so if you're offering your gift at the altar and, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going to him with, with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard. And you'll be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never go out until you have paid the last penny. So the context is heavily a Jewish council and court system, which doesn't apply to us, but the principle certainly does. When we sin in anger with our speech, when we commit murder in our hearts, we need to seek forgiveness with the Lord. We need to seek forgiveness 
if at all possible, with whoever we've hurt. And we need to make it right, however we can, to the best of our ability. Let me give you an example of what not to do. I've done this before in my own marriage. It's not helpful. I say, I'm I'm like 60% convicted on a 100% scale. Mary, would would you please forgive me for getting angry with you? See, doesn't that sound good? Sounds really good. Would you please forgive me for getting angry with you when you yelled at me? See what I did there? <laughs> I, I was doing good. And then I just flipped it. That's not a real confession. That's not, a con- that's not contrition of the heart. Would you please forgive me when I got angry and just own it? It is wrong. I should never speak that way. I should never think that way. Own it. Go to Jesus. Seek restitution. Don't blame each other. And kids, this happens all the time. It's happened in my house over the years. It happens in your house. When your mom or dad tells you to ask forgiveness and you say the words, but you don't mean them, or at least there's no appearance of me, go talk to your brother and ask him to forgive. Would you please forgive me? I'm sorry. Feel it. Ask the Lord to convict you. And you will be freer. This is for your good and for your joy. So anger must be owned. It must be turned from. First John says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let me just say a word to those who are on the receiving end of anger. It's never right for someone to murder us with, our, with their tongue, with their, their words in any way. It's never right for abuse of any kind, verbal or physical. It is always wrong. It is always sinful. Jesus takes it very, very seriously. And so if you are in that receiving end, we want to help you. We want you to get help. We want you to go to counselors if there's, if there's that kind of help needed. We want you to be safe if, if police need to get involved, if the Alice Paul House has help to offer. I don't want you to mishear that. We are called to forgive when sinned against, but sometimes it's a long slow process, and the degree of the sin against us could be massive. And so that forgiveness may not be a face-to-face forgiveness because of what has been done against you. It may just be between you and the Lord. But we want to help you walk through that. There's resources in our town to help you walk through that as well. So I don't want you to be confused. It is always wrong. And if you're on the abuser end, you are sinning against the Lord and the Lord's son or daughter. And that's a big deal to the Lord. He will not let that go unchecked. Now, for all of us, this is what Jesus calls us. He's our king. Remember, Matthew is all about submitting to Jesus as our king. And I I don't think there's any place better to end than this passage from Ephesians 4. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth but only such that is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. To put all that to death, And then do this, be kind to one another, 
tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Remember what was said about Jesus, Peter says about Jesus when he was, when he was falsely accused, when he was hanging on the cross. When he was reviled, he did not revile. He didn't, he didn't snap back. He's the only one that really had the right to snap back. And the reason he didn't snap back is because he needed to go through with God the Father's plan that Jesus could be our perfect substitute, could wash away all of our sins and make us new. So if you are a Christian, you've been forgiven much. We're to extend forgiveness and we're to be tenderhearted to our brothers and sisters, the ones we really enjoy and the ones that we find difficult to enjoy. He wants to, to really do something supernatural in each of us. So let's all stand and pray, and we're going to sing a final song that's going to center our minds and hearts on Jesus. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you care about us, that you don't want to leave us in our sins. You want to spring us out of them. You want to give us power to change. You want to free us. You want to have us experience more joy. And Lord, I pray you would do that all throughout this room. I pray you would do that for those watching online. I pray you would help us. Thank you that you are our Savior, you are our King, you are our Lord, you are our friend, and you are kind and, and tenderhearted toward us, not just on our really good days, but on our absolutely worst days. You still love us. You don't leave us or forsake us. And we, we praise you for that. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.